morning, CLC. It's so good to be here this morning. Choir, so good. And as I was walking uh, in the lobby, I had quite a few people come up to me and ask me this question. Are you wearing earrings today? Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but last time I wore some hoops, and if you go back and listen to that message, you'll hear a nice little metronome in the background. And so we're good today. No hoops, no earrings. We're good. Um, This week, I heard about something that's going on in our church, a challenge that's going on between the youth and the young adult ministry uh, here at CLC, Lincoln Transfer. They're doing something called the shred challenge. I don't know if any of you have heard about it, but when Pastor Danny and Liz started to share it with me, I actually got kind of nervous because the last time Danny shared uh, a challenge that the youth did, it involved drinking a hamburger smoothie. It's as disgusting as it sounds. And so as he started to share this, I was like, oh gosh, what's the shred challenge? And then he began to tell me, well, we're all reading the entire Bible in 30 days. Yeah, that was my face whenever he said that to me. I'm like, how in the world is that even possible? And he's like, well, some people are reading, but for the most part, most of us are listening to it really, really fastly on our apps. And I was like, okay, great. And Liz is like, we just started today. You should join us. Uh, you know, I'm just going to let you guys do that and cheer you guys on from the side. Left and uh, got in my car. And as I was driving, I was like, the Bible in 30 days. Hmm. I got home and I parked the car and I got my app out. And I was like, I'm just going to look at this app. I'm just going to look at this, this uh, challenge. And I pulled it up and I looked at day one. 41 chapters in day one. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm definitely not convinced. And then I go in and I read the devotional. And usually the devotional on the Bible app for a certain challenge or a certain Bible study kind of tries to get you pumped up for what you're about to read. And so I'm reading it. I'm like, convince me I should join this. And what I read was, the, the guy that, that put, it, put together this challenge was like, listen, it's not about getting every detail of the scripture. It's about understanding the fullness of the narrative. And, and going through it, you may not, you know, understand and take in everything, but you get to follow the story of what God has written for his people. And I was like, okay, you convinced me. So that day, I jumped in. Day six of the Shred Challenge. Are any of you still doing it? Okay, there's a few, a few that have made it this far. We're day six. That means we've gone from Genesis to Judges in six days. <laughs> and every night I've gone and I've shared with Grant some of the things that I've taken away. And, and listen, I've had so much fun with it. It has been such a fun way to interact with the Bible. Give yourself permission to get creative engaging with the Bible. Maybe you're like, man, my, my devotionals have been kind of stiff, or uh, maybe I should do something different. Give yourself some room to get creative. And so it's been fun for me, and every night I've gone to Grant, and I'm like, okay, here's some of my takeaways, and we'll talk through it. And the other day he was like, so on Sunday are you going to just preach the entire Bible? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. But there is something that has stuck out to me 
as I've joined the Lincoln Transfer in this challenge, as I'm reading 40-something chapters a day, well, I'm not reading, I'm listening to it very fast, um, just, to, just to clarify, um, is that God deeply cares about our relationship with him, and he deeply cares about our relationship with each other. Now, it's one thing to talk about being reconciled to God, the one who is consistent, the one who has unfailing love, the one who sent his son to die for us so that we can be in relationship with him and have eternal life. It's another thing to talk about being reconciled to each other. Because people, well, they're messy. People are people. First, in 1 John 4.20, John says this, If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? You know, and I've read this scripture before, and I've actually had this thought, John, wouldn't it be easier to love certain people that I, if I didn't have to see them? <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I'm just being honest, you know? I mean, oh. But in all seriousness, John continues to share that if we truly love God, we must love his people. We must love his children. It's not just a commandment from God. It's who we're called to be, to love others as God is love. And I'm not talking about loving the person you're sitting next to right now. The person you're sitting next to, hopefully, should be a little bit easier to love than those maybe outside of your family and your friends. You may butt heads, but listen, you love them. I'm talking about the people that aren't that easy to be around. The people that you purposely avoid. And don't act like you have people that you purposely avoid. Maybe they look different than you. Maybe they speak different than you. Maybe they vote differently than you. Ooh, we want to stay clear from those people. Maybe they believe differently than you. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, verse 46. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And not e do not even the tax collectors do that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the unbelievers do that? Listen, Jesus is saying that's the easy part. We pat ourselves on the shoulder when we do something good for our spouse. Now, don't get me wrong, that's important. But Jesus is saying that's the easy part. The not so easy part is loving the people that aren't so easy to love. It's our assignment here on earth to be the light to the world. That means to everyone. 
And by God's grace, we can learn to do so, even when it feels impossible. And so this morning, we're going to learn from Jesus through the story of the Good Samaritan. At this point in the scripture, Jesus is pretty well known uh, by people. He's, they've, they've seen him do miracles. They've seen him travel. Right now, he's, he's in, the, in the place of sending out his disciples on ministry assignments. People are going and healing and ministering to people. And about this time, a Jewish man who knew the scriptures really well wanted to challenge Jesus and, and kind of see if he could test him. And so this is where we pick up in the scripture. Jesus takes the conversation in a little bit of a different direction than I think this man was intending. And so if you are willing and able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? In Luke chapter 10, 25 through 37, it says this. An expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who? is my neighbor. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he came to the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the, he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bills run higher than this, I will pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who, attacked, who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Now may God add his blessing to our reading of his word. You may be seated. Can I start by saying this? The man who approached Jesus in this story is often painted in a pretty negative light, right? I mean, he was arrogant. He wanted to basically outsmart Jesus in front of everybody. But I think there's something that the narrative shows us here, that even in our pride, even when our motives are so off, if we are bold enough to actually approach Jesus with our questions, then we're given an opportunity to be given eyes to see. Amen. Wherever we find ourselves, we can always approach the throne of grace 
and be received by God and be received by Jesus and receive his mercy. Jesus can handle it all. So this Jewish man, he stood, to test, he stood up to test Jesus by asking him the question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? He's thinking, I know the scriptures. Let's see what Jesus says. And Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? But he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just ask this man, what does the scripture say? He asks him this interesting question. How do you read it? What does the scripture say? But don't just tell me what it says. How do you read it? It's almost as if he's asking, how do you interpret this? What lens do you bring to the scripture? Who does this scripture actually benefit? What does your interpretation reveal about what's actually in your heart? Jesus isn't afraid to ask questions that reveals what's inside. And these are questions we should be asking ourselves when we read the Bible, right? I mean, of course we ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate his word for us and to speak to us through his word, but subconsciously, we all bring our biases. We all bring our cultural norms. We all bring our preferences to the scripture. We know this just by how differently the church, uh, how, sorry, I'm making myself laugh already. How differently uh, Christians interpret make a joyful noise unto the Lord. For some of us in here, that means taking a praise break. For others, that means crossing our arms and mumbling under our breath. I'm just trying to make a point. <laughs> Listen, it's all a joyful noise. It's all a joyful noise. But nothing has helped me become more aware of my own biases and my own preferences and the own, my own lens that I bring than actually worshiping and engaging within a diverse congregation. What a gift. What a gift it is to, for a moment, step away from the lens that we have and see through our brothers and sisters through a lens that is much different than ours. And if we allow it, it can help to broaden our view of how big God truly is. I remember a few years back, I was sitting at my dinner table talking to a friend who shared with me a story about growing up in a rural village in South Africa during the end of the apartheid era. And she began to share with me that her grandmother was known in the village as this woman who would always have her doors open for anybody who needed a meal. And she said, it got to the point where, you know, you know, people were coming in and out of the house. I mean, we were just known as this is the house where you can come and get fed. And she said there were days that they, and as a little girl, she had these memories, that they didn't have even enough to eat for their own family. But that never stopped her grandmother from opening up her doors to her neighbors. And she told me this, and it was like just how serious she got. She said, and somehow everyone always ended up getting fed. From her life experience, she realized tangibly that limited resources don't limit God. 
And when you have a, an experience like that, when that's a part of your journey, you read the scripture a little differently, right? And she began to challenge me. And she began to, to help me broaden my lens as we went into the scriptures together. What could Jesus really be saying here? Out of the limitations that we face, how do you read it? Maybe Jesus was asking, what box have you placed me in? What horrible situation or experience have you faced that has tainted your view of God, therefore tainted the way that you see the scripture? How do you read it? Does your filter just benefit you and isolate others? How do you read it? Well, the man answered, well, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. I don't think he really understood what, what Jesus was trying to get at. And Jesus said, right. He told him, do this and, and you'll live. And the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who do I actually have to love? <laughs> the man wanted to justify his actions. He didn't ask that out of a, a pure, man, who, who is my neighbor? Oh, I just want to know. He was doing it to justify something. We don't know the details of the actions that he's trying to justify here. But in some of the context clues, you can kind of make some assumptions that maybe he wasn't acting in a lovingly way to all people. You see, he was searching for something from Jesus to reassure him, to tell him, I don't have to love everyone. Now, we all do this to some degree, right? We all justify our actions to some degree. When we do something we're not proud of or when we do something that we know deep down isn't right, some of us, have, we, know we're, we tend to have this default of, well, it's because, well, uh, you did this, or oh, oh, there's a reason. Surely, there's always a reason that pushes us past our limit. We all have it, right? Amen. Someone or something will get the blame to help me justify why I did what I know was not that great. But when we attempt to justify our harmful actions, instead of taking responsibility, we remove our need for grace because we're justified. The person, that person deserved it. I was protecting myself. You name the justification. When we justify our hurtful actions, it gives permission for the wrong thing to happen again. And this Jewish man, that's exactly what he was doing. But let's set this thing, the thing straight here. Jesus makes it clear that there's no justification for discrimination in the eyes of God. There is no justification for discrimination in the eyes of God. But instead of answering him directly, Jesus does what Jesus does 
and he tells a story. And that's where we get the story of the Good Samaritan. Many of us know it well. Many of us have grown up reading it. And many, for some of us, this may be a new story. But Jesus leads this man on a journey to help him have eyes to see. You know, even in that moment, Jesus could have walked away. <laughs> he could have looked at that man, saw his arrogant heart, and said, I'm done with you, and walked away. But instead, Jesus went on a journey with him. Are we willing to do the same? So this Jewish man, this, this is the story now. We've moved into the story. Jesus begins to tell about a Jewish man traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Now, this was about a 17-mile journey. It was actually known as a, a pretty dangerous route to take. It had uh, pretty rugged terrain, and the elevation was really steep, and there was a lot of places for robbers to hide and jump out and attack people. And so it was known for its dangerous route. And this man in the story ends up getting stripped, attacked, and his clothes and possessions were taken from him, and he was beaten and left half dead on the side of the road. And I'm going to make another point here. <clears throat> Jesus is speaking to a Jewish man, okay? He's telling this, he's speaking to him about loving your neighbor, about what it looks like to extend love to somebody else and who that entails and who that would involve. He's speaking to him about loving other people. But in this illustration, the Jewish man in the story who is, ex who is in the story is not the one extending love. He's the one in need. He's the vulnerable one. He's the hurting one. He's the one in desperate need for someone else to love him. Jesus was giving him a new perspective, and he was about to shift his paradigm. You see, the person trying to justify his hateful actions can only learn how to love when seeing himself through the lens of the one in need. Okay, I'll say it again. <laughs> the person trying to justify his hateful actions can only learn how to love when seeing himself through the lens of the one in need. Amen. The beginning point of loving your neighbor is learning how to receive for yourself. Yes, learning to see your own need for love. Matthew 5, verse 3 says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are aware of their deep need for God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wait a minute. No, blessed are the rich. Blessed are those who get everything they prayed for. Blessed are those who aren't feeling pain right now. No. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom 
of heaven. You see, being poor in spirit is like the great equalizer in our biases, in our legalism, and in our prejudices. Being in a vulnerable place of knowing your desperate need for God and his help, it humbles us to a place where we can receive and therefore give love to others without any reservation. And our independent selves, right, try to tell us that we don't need anyone else. We can do it on our own. But to be on the receiving end of love gives us the ability to see others with empathy and compassion. And no, I don't believe we have to wait until we're in this absolute desperation to receive. I mean, the church, in my opinion, is one of the most generous forces out there. It's beautiful. And being a part of this specific body, you guys, this is a generous church. This church knows how to give. I have been a recipient of that. I know so many of you in this room have just seen the giving of this church. But let's not forget that it's necessary that we also allow ourselves to be on that receiving end. You may see yourself as the giver, and that's your role, but even Jesus himself took on a poverty of spirit. I think of Mary pouring out her precious possession, her most prized expensive wine, pouring it all over Jesus' feet. And Jesus didn't tell her, stop, no, no, I don't need that. You keep that. He allowed Mary to give even when he was criticized for it, saying that was a waste. He allowed himself to receive. Several times he entered into the home of others where they had prepared an elaborate meal for him. He allowed himself to receive. John the Baptist himself baptized Jesus because Jesus told him to. John the Baptist was like, I can't baptize you. You need to baptize me. And Jesus is like, no, no, this is a fulfillment of the prophecy. I need you. I need you to do this for me. Jesus modeled so beautifully what it was like to see love be mutually given and received. Church, let's not be above that. So the Jewish man in the story that Jesus is telling is lying there and he's beaten half to death and a priest shows up. And I can imagine as they're listening to this story that Jesus is telling them, okay, a priest is is coming up on the scene. Okay, something good's about to happen. Well, the priest comes up, sees the man lying there and walks on by. So for a moment, Let's try to understand what would have led this priest to keep on moving. Back in that time, priests were not allowed to go near or even touch a dead body. They would be considered unclean for their rituals in the temple. Maybe he saw the man and thought he was already dead. Maybe he saw him over there and thought, well, gosh, if I go over there, What if I get jumped? 
And so he kept walking by. Regardless of the reason why he chose to keep walking, he chose to keep walking. He was not willing to enter in to some potential tension because he wanted to keep the peace, the peace in his own world. All while knowing that his brother, his neighbor, was in pain. He chose to keep walking. In our pastoral meeting this week, we decided uh, on Tuesday, as we were reflecting the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., to read his letter from the Birmingham jail written in 1963. And Dr. King writes this. So the question is not whether we will be extremists, but what kind of extremists we will be. Will we be extremists for hate? Or will we be extremists for love? Will we be extremists for the preservation of injustice? Or will we be the extremists for the cause of justice? Here's the thing. Love takes risk. The risk of rejection the risk of being judged, the risk of being seen as too extreme, the risk of getting hurt, the risk of people being people. (laughs) Love takes, takes risk. And the priest in this story was not willing to love because he was not willing to risk. So the priest walks by, and then shortly after, a temple temple assistant comes on the scene, looks at the body, looks at the man, and does the same. He keeps walking. Now, we don't know this for sure, but there is a chance that this temple assistant was actually assisting the priest that was walking ahead of him. They could be, you know... Not, not associated, but there is a chance that he was following behind his leader. And if that was the case, then what we see is a, an example. <laughs> what we see is that our actions affect other people. We see a cowardly action negatively affect someone who was watching. Who's watching us? Is it our kids? Is it our friends? Is it our coworkers? Is it our distant family members that criticize us for being Christian, but deep down are actually watching to observe how you respond to certain situations? Now, I'm not saying we do things and we serve others so that other people can see us. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, if we don't deal with the things that are inside, if we don't deal with the things that are inside our heart, then unknowingly, our justifications, our things get in the way 
and we end up as believers, as examples of Jesus, instead of being a testimony, we end up being a hindrance to love. Lord, help us to do the internal work so that when, it's not if, so that when others see, it can be a testimony. I just imagine if that priest, if he would have stopped and cared for his brother and that temple assistant would have walked by and saw what was happening, he would have seen and, and, and learned by action, this is how you love. This is how you love your neighbor, especially when it costs us something. This is how we love. What kind of ripple, what kind of ripple effect will we create? Because we all will do one. We all create ripples. Lord, help us to create a ripple of love. Amen. So finally, a Samaritan comes along. Jesus uses the word a despised Samaritan because he knew his audience. He knew that would be a trigger for them. He knew they would catch that. The Samaritans and the Jews, they didn't get along, as some of us know. The Samaritans were of mixed race. And so according to the Jews, the Jews were the pure race. And they looked and saw the Samaritans as half-breeds. Listen, growing up in a biracial household, I know that it can get real messy on both sides of the family. Just saying. I'll move on. <laughs> but on top of that, they had religious differences. And so this tension, this mutual dissent got so bad that it had led these two people, these two nations to even go at war with each other. There's a lot of history there of why these two groups of people, quite frankly, hated one another. And so when people are listening and they hear a Samaritan is coming on the scene, they're thinking, it's about to get way worse. <laughs> okay, we thought it was already bad. It's about to get way worse. But when the Samaritan comes on the scene, Jesus said, he looked at the man lying there and he felt compassion for him. And his compassion led him to help. He soothed his wounds with oil and he disinfected his wounds with, with wine. He picked him up. He transported him to a place where he could get help. And he covered the cost, a full wage's worth, to make sure this man was going to be okay. You know, it's so easy to dehumanize <laughs> those that we hate. But the compassion that this man felt, this Samaritan, allowed himself to humanize the person that culturally he was supposed to hate. But when you humanize someone, it allows you to see them through the eyes of empathy, through the eyes of compassion. We see all over scripture that compassion compels us to love and not to hate. 
Compassion gives us faith where we had fear. When Jesus was on his way and he, he saw that people were hungry and his disciples were like, let's go, let's go somewhere else. And Jesus was like, I have compassion on those people. I'm gonna let my compassion interrupt me sometimes. We're so fixed on what we're supposed to be doing. We're all so fixed on our own lives that we don't let Jesus interrupt us with compassion. I don't have time for that. Let us always have time for compassion. The, the Samaritan's extension of love took work. It took action. It took sacrifice. This Samaritan was on his way somewhere and he allowed it to inconvenience him for the sake of love. It was likely that this Samaritan would get nothing in return. How often, subconsciously, do we help somebody else knowing we might get something in return? Even if it is a pat on the back. Listen, this Samaritan was serving someone that was half dead. This person wasn't even going to know who helped him. He wasn't doing it to be recognized. He wasn't doing it to be praised. He wasn't doing it to be the one that broke this generational curse. No, he was doing it because he felt compassion on someone that God cared for. He puts the needs of a stranger above his own. No, not a stranger, an enemy above his own. All for the sake of love. He took the risk that his community and families may ridicule him for doing this. All for the sake of love. Jesus shows us that it will cost us something. This type of love, it's not natural, but it's available as we walk with the Holy Spirit. Jesus wraps up this interaction with this Jewish man, and he says this. Now, which one of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man attacked by bandits? The man replied, well, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes. Now go and do the same. Lord, help us. Help us to do the same. And can I say this? This isn't a narrative about Jesus saying one group of people is more compassionate than the other. He's not saying the Samaritans are more compassionate than the Jewish people. Just a few scriptures earlier, Jesus was rejected by a Samaritan village. So much so that his own disciples wanted to call down fire on them. <laughs> and Jesus had to calm down. No, 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 you guys, it's fine. Let's just keep walking on. Let's just keep going. But Jesus, even after being hurt, even after being rejected, even after being persecuted by both parties in this story, he uses this illustration for the goal of reconciliation. That's what love does. 
that's what Jesus does. And that's what he's calling us to do. But better yet, that's who he's calling us to be. To be love. When love sometimes can feel impossible. In this room, you may relate to different people in this narrative. But wherever you land, let's just take a moment to go before the Lord and ask him, Lord, help us to love like you. Help us to learn to love like you. Help us to receive, to remember that we don't have it all together and we can spend time pointing our fingers at others when really we've got some work to do too. Lord, help us to stay humble and receive. Help us to realize that love is going to take some risk. Maybe in this, in this room you need God to give you some courage. There's some things you know you need to do, but you're filled with fear. God, give us courage to risk for the sake of love. Maybe this morning you need to shed some bad examples that you've seen of what love looks like. Some of us have grown up seeing some pretty, pretty rough examples of how to treat other people. And sometimes we have to allow God to rewire us to say, wait, that's not the way that I want to live anymore. God, give us a new lens. Give us a new perspective. And finally, this morning, let's ask God to give us compassion for one another. Oftentimes we pick and choose who's worthy of our compassion, who's worthy of our empathy, who's worthy of us trying to see things from their perspective. No, you don't know what this person has done to me. Lord, help us. Help us to love like you do. Let us pray. God, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you see each of us in this room, God. I thank you that you know the journeys that we've taken. You know the life experiences that have affected how we view you, how we view your scriptures, and how we view other people, Lord. And this morning, God, hmm, would you let us know, would you let us see that our poverty of spirit is actually a gift from you? understanding our own need from you, Lord, is the beginning. It's only the beginning of knowing how to love our neighbor. God, remind us of our need for you. And God, would you give us the courage? Would you give us the courage to love others the way that you love them? Lord, we love you so much, God. This morning, if there is anyone in this room, God, who is saying, man, I, I want to experience this type of love. I've never felt good enough. I've always felt that I was on the, the outside. Lord, I thank you that you would extend your grace to anyone in this room who's desiring a relationship with you. So God, I thank you for the souls in this room who are saying yes to you. 
We're saying, God, I want to experience this love. I want to receive this love from you, God. And by doing so, I'll be able to love others like you. Lord, we thank you for those who are saying yes to you this morning. We thank you for every person who's saying, I may have walked with you, Jesus, but I want to love like you, Jesus. Lord, help us to do that. We love you, Lord. We praise your name. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Would you guys stand with me this morning? Thank you so much for being here to worship with your family. And may the love of God and the presence of his Holy Spirit go with you as you are emboldened to love your neighbor like Jesus has loved you. Now may the peace of the Lord go with you all.